Praise the Lord. Oh, yes. Praise the Lord. And glory be to God on high. All that together in a bag of chips. Amen. 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 It's good to be with you today. It's a blessing to uh, be in the company of the Fellowship of Saints here at, at Epiphany. Thank God for having us here, calling us here, and the ability to, to just be a blessing, I hope, here today. There is um, some special guests here that I saw today. It's a young couple, um, a young married couple. Um, it's Tommy and Fatima Forrester. Stand up, Tommy. Come on, stand up. Where'd Tommy go? Where'd your man go? Amen. Where'd your man go? He, he, he went out. He went to the bath. Tommy Forrester is in the bathroom. Epiphany is really, really real. Praise God. It's great to have you with us. And Tommy, if you can hear me in the bathroom, hope everything's going well, and we'll see you in a couple minutes. Let's greet Tommy. All right. Praise God. All right. All right. Hope everything came out okay. All right. Praise the Lord. God is in this place. Amen. Pastor introduced my wife already, but I just want to thank God publicly for my wife, Harriet. She's put up with me thus far for 24 years, six months, and two days. Amen. We're working on our 25th anniversary coming up in about six months, and I'm we gotta, I got to plan something sneaky good, right? Because cause she, she's hung on with me for 20, 24 and a half, 25. So I want to plan something sneaky good so she'll hang with me for another 25. Amen? So pray for a brother to, to help out. Pray for me, y'all. I have issues and y'all know it. Let's jump into God's Word today. Wanna wanna come from Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32. It's right between Genesis 31 and 33. I'm gonna read a few verses at the beginning of the chapter and then go down to our main text, which will be towards the end of the chapter. My subject today is grappling with God. Grappling with God. Lessons from a wrestling match. Grappling with God. So let's start reading at verse 3. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned 
to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Let's go down to verse 22. The same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not, that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God. For you have striven with God, I've lost my place here for a second. I know what it says, but I want to read it right. You've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Verse 29. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you today for the promise that your word is life. Your word is the bread, the sustenance that we need to not only survive, but to thrive. And Lord, you promise that as we come to you and your word, that you will indeed give life and strength. Lord, may we come today as vessels, not feeling like we're filled up already, but God help us to come empty, to come broken, to come needy, to come desperate, to hear what you would say to us today. And Lord, you promised that your spirit, which lives inside of us, would quicken our hearts and our minds. So Lord, in these coming minutes, we pray that you would have your way with us and glorify your name. In this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So many wonderful characters that we read about as we go through the pages of Scripture and as we see how God uses so many different characters. One of my favorites, though, has always been 
this character, Jacob. Um, one of the reasons I like Jacob so much is probably because I'm so much like him in so many jacked up ways. Um, you know, I look through scripture at other great men and women of God, and, and sometimes I don't know if I can relate to Paul's scholarliness. He's way up here, and he's planting churches all over the world. Um, he had his jacked up parts too, right? Moses, a prince of Egypt, and all these great men and women that the scripture presents. But man, Jacob is really, really real. Pastor would probably say, grimy. It's right down to earth. It's right in the mix. And so, so Jacob, even from before he meets this world, while he's yet in mama's womb, he's already struggling. He's already fighting. He's already grabbing his brother's heel. He's already in a struggle. And he comes into this world and his life Seems like it's one struggle after another, whether it's with his brother trying to sneak away to get his birthright. How can I get his deathbed blessing? He goes off into a foreign land with his uncle Laban, and in that place, he's always in this mix of this struggle. How can I get his, his beautiful daughter for my wife? And Laban and him are fooling each other. They're messing with each other. And he's always in this struggle. How can I get his flocks? How can I get his herds? What am I going to do? He always has a scheme. He always has an angle. I guess I'd like to say I can't relate to that. But the, the honest answer is, oh, yes, I can. <laughs> I can relate to being a person who always wants to get my own way. And apart from Christ, brothers and sisters, I hope you can relate to that too. Let me give you a story. When I was probably 12 or 13 years old, now I'm going to date myself so some older folks are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But young folks that got no clue, I want you to just nod your head like you know. Now they did this in the last service, but some of the young ladies especially, they nodded their head, but they rolled their eyes. So it didn't count as a head nod if you roll your eyes. So please don't roll your eyes or even do that neck thing y'all do. So just, just nod your head like you know what I'm talking about. Okay? Help me now. When I was 12 or 13, my best friend had this game called electric football. You can nod your heads now. Thank you. Thank you. Electric football. I had to have an electric football game. Electric football was a football field about that big, about that wide. It was just a metal plate. And it had a little thing that you turn on and it'd go zzzz, And it would make the board go up and down real fast. And you put your little football guys on there and you put the little football in one, and he's like this. He's a running back. And, he, and he'd zoom with it and hope you blocker would block. And, oh, we had a blast. I loved electric football. And I had, it wasn't something I wanted. It, it was something I absolutely had to have or I would die. And it was October. 
And Christmas wasn't till December. That was like so long away, I couldn't even imagine it. And I'm like, I can't get electric. And it was expensive. It was one of the most expensive games out there. How can I even ask for it? I can't even ask for it. It cost $11. Too much money. So I convinced my younger brother, whose birthday was in October, you have to have electric football. You need to let mom and dad. Now, I don't want it now. I just, I want you to have it. I had really fun. You're going to love electric. I convinced my younger brother that he had to have electric football or he would die as well. And so we didn't want the whole family dying. So mom and dad, they got electric football. I don't know if I ever let my younger brother use it or not, but we had a blast. I had a blast with electric football. But look, that's kind of the way I was. And outside of the sanctifying work of Christ, that's kind of the way I am. I want it. Let me figure out a way. And boy, that's Jacob to a T. I'm going to scheme and plot and plan and find a way to get it. I can relate to this dude, man. So we want to learn some lessons from his life. And that's what we're going to look at. Before we get into the main crux of it, Starting at verse 22, I just want to look at something, and this is important even before that. Because in this scripture, chapter 31, Jacob is running away from Laban. He sneaks out with hundreds of camels and donkeys. That's hard to sneak out with 12 kids and wives and all this stuff. But he sneaks out. He, he sneaks out while, Je, while, while Laban is away shearing his sheep. So he knew when to roll. He had a plan and he did that. And if it wasn't for the grace of God and an angel coming to Laban, Laban was about to take him out of the world. But God stopped Laban by his angel who scared the stuff out of Laban. So thank God for that. So you still got this schemy guy, Jacob, doing his thing, but in verse 9 of chapter 32, I didn't read it, but I'm going to read these verses, we see the first prayer recorded in Scripture from Jacob. Now, I'm sure he prayed, but this is the first prayer that we see. Look at what he says. <clears throat> and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan. And now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother Esau. From the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. Verse 12, but you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Beautiful prayer. I mean, he's coming clean. He's coming right. He's, he's on it. He, he, he says, 
Lord, you said to me, return to your country. Now, Esau, man, the last I remember Esau 20 years ago, he's like, I am going to kill this little bugger. I'm going to kill Jacob. He stole my blessing. I'm going to kill Jacob. He stole my birthright. Oh, I'm going to kill him. Oh, yeah. Once daddy goes, Jacob's out of here. 20 years later, God calls him to come back. And now Esau's coming. Remember, we read with 400 men. And Jacob's like, dude, that's not good. 400 dudes with him. That's not good. Why is he rolling with, that, with them? So he prays. He does the right thing. God of my father Abraham, God of Isaac, you said to me, return to my country. I'm not worthy. He takes the low road. He's right. You're not worthy. He says, you've been, I don't, I don't deserve your love, all that you've given me. And then he makes his petition clear. Deliver me from the hand of Esau, my brother. And then he even makes clear the, the foundation upon which he can make that petition. Not, it's not something I made up or something I just want you to do. But verse 12, you said, Lord, you said. He goes back to the word of God. You said, I'll surely do you good. And you said, I'll make your offspring as the sand of the sea. You said, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. What a beautiful prayer. Expressing his unworthiness, expressing his trust in God, making his petition clear, and backing it up and saying, Lord, this comes because of what you said. I'm praying this because you promised to keep me. You promised to make a multitude that no man can number. First point that I want to make is before we get into the wrestling match, but is this. Remember this. Your flesh continues to strive even as you grow spiritually. Don't deceive yourselves. Don't deceive yourselves. If you look, and I'm not going to read, verses 13 through 21 is all about, after this beautiful prayer, after he says, Lord, I need you. Lord, it's based on the God of my father, Abraham and Isaac. Lord, I'm not worthy. He lays out his petition in prayer. And then, starting in verse 13 and 14, he puts together a Jacoby scheme. He says, okay, I'm going to put together this many camels and this many donkeys and this much of this and this much of that. And you send them ahead in droves, one at a time. Bow before my brother Esau. Tell him, oh, this is from... Uh, this is for my Lord Esau from Jacob. He puts together a plan. I put plan one is God, I need you to do this. I have no other hope. But I got plan B. Just in case, just in case you let me down, I got this other plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up two different camps and I'm going to send these gifts ahead. My God, you see... In verses 9 through 12, in that prayer, a side of Jacob, you have not seen this thus far in Scripture, where it seems like he's growing, he's getting it, he, he's understanding what it takes, he's understanding what it means to rest in God. But right after that, he goes straight back into his old schemy, slimy self. 
And I want us to know, I want us to remember, for every one of us, your flesh continues to strive even as you grow spiritually. Don't think because I can, quote unquote, understand the truths of election, which basically I can understand some things, but there's a whole lot of things that I'm just going to be, uh, 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 you know, scratching my head till I got no hair left. Just because we can understand some, some big spiritual words, homoousios. I'm sorry if I spit on anybody in the first row. Just because you think you know some stuff, just because you come to a church where the Word of God is preached in truth and in depth on a consistent basis, and you've got this spiritual understanding don't be deceived for a moment that that means that your flesh is somehow put off to the side. My God, brothers and sisters, before I got saved, my flesh was selfish, self-seeking, and wanted something for itself right now. When I got saved, my flesh was selfish and self-seeking and wanted something for itself right now. I've been saved for 28 years, and right now my flesh is selfish and self-speaking, self-seeking, and wants something for itself right now. Flesh don't change. Be careful. Be aware. Be aware. All right, let's jump right into the wrestling match. Verse 22. Let's start reading at verse 22. The same night he arose, that's Jacob, and took his two wives, two female servants, 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. Let's stop right there. Jacob was left alone. Last week in the gathering, we talked about community, the necessity, the necessity of community. Community is not something that as a Christian, you may want to do that for a particular period of time just because you want to link up with some folks. But when you don't feel like it or when it starts getting tough, it's like I can pull away, you know, and I, I'm good anyway. No, community is an essential for the Christian life. Community is necessary for your spiritual growth and health. It is not an add-on to be something else. That We're clear about that. But here's something that God is saying as well right here. Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. My next point is that your individual encounter with God is necessary. Your individual encounter with God is necessary. We can be in gatherings, we need to be. We be in community, we need to be. We need to grow in relationships, we need to do that. But make no mistake about it. If you're going to grow in Christ, you need to get alone with Him and wrestle with Him. You need this. Wrestling with God. The one thing that Jacob did see here, from his past he knew that there were times when he didn't know what to do next. He's going 
from his father's house out to hopefully find his way in the world as he escapes Esau the first time. And he lays down his head on a rock in a strange place. And all of a sudden, he begins to have visions of angels coming from earth to heaven. And he begins to see, and he names that place Bethel, the house of God. God ministers to him in that place. And so Jacob understands the value of being with God and getting alone with God. An individual encounter with God is necessary. It's not my mother. It's not my father. But it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my sister. It's not my brother. But it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. God, I need you. Do you feel that desperate need? Now, he's in a place where he knows, at least in his mind, Esau's coming after him and he could be in serious trouble. But I wonder for us if we just wait till serious times of peril or if we don't understand that every day this world is full of mess. The enemy don't play. And your flesh is jacked up. How do you like that for an unholy trinity? He can take us out anytime. It's me, Lord. I need you today. Oh, God, be with me today. Let me engage this match today. You know, I wonder what's going on here. And in my, in my I hope, semi, at least, sanctified imagination, I wonder what's going on in heaven as God, because we know who this other wrestler is, in verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and it says, and a man wrestled with him. Till the breaking of day, we come to know who this wrestler is, this theophany, this Christophany. is God taking on human flesh and going down and saying, I'm going to wrestle with this dude. So I wonder what's going on in heaven with all the angels when they see this happening. Now, they've been watching Jacob for all these years. They remember his grandpa, Abraham. Now, Abraham was a serious dude. He had some issues early on. He had some problems, but my God, he's a great man of faith. And his, his, his father was a great man. But my goodness, this boy, Jacob, he just don't get it. He is in spiritual slow class times two. He's on the short bus going back to Canaan. What's wrong with Jacob? What's going on with him? And so, you know, when God says, you know, where's my man's suit? I'm going to go down and, and do something with Jacob here. I bet the angels are saying, all right now, go ahead, God, go sick him. Get on him, show him what's up. Because he is a mess and he needs some serious correction. So they're all happy just watching that. <laughs> Go get him. Sick him. Mm, mm, mm. Now look, this, this next part of this next verse probably makes less sense to me on the surface than just about anything I read in Scripture. Who's wrestling with Jacob? Look at the beginning of verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. 
That's just stupid. That's just crazy. Wait a second. You are God in a man's suit. And you're wrestling with Jacob and you're not prevailing? Shucks. What we learned last week. Cypher group memory verses. Come on now. He's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Look, look, look. This is, this is El Shaddai. This is God Almighty. He's wrestling with a puny little punk named Jacob. And it says, and he did not prevail. He holds all things together. Look, if God stepped off the clock for a millisecond and things weren't held together no more, you want to talk about a bad hair day? Shucks. Every molecule in your body, every cell, every paramecium, is that a word? We got some Drexel people here. They know smart words. It'd be all over the place. Come on. It'd all be all over the place. But yet it says he could not, he did not prevail. That's just crazy. Look, God is dealing with everybody in this room. Me first. He's dealing with everybody in this room. And the same truth is going on. He's wrestling with y'all. I hope you know it. But he hasn't pinned you yet. He's letting you expend all of your strength. He's letting you come to the very end of yourself. I got my brother Ock back there. Ock's a wrestler, man. Like a state champion wrestler from high school. I want a piece of you, man. You think I'm a joke? I told folks in the first service, man, my, my professional wrestling career, some of you don't know about it. I didn't make the WWE, but I was in the WD-40. And... We'll talk about that later on. It's a slimy league, man. It's a slimy league. But look, here's my next point. God will purposefully extend the encounter with you. See, he could pin you in a second, right? He could destroy you in a minute. But he will purposefully extend the encounter with you. He'll draw you out. God doesn't do surfacey work. God doesn't take your cancer and put a band-aid on it and says, you know what? You're all better now. No, He goes in. He goes all the way in. He's got all the scalpels He needs. He's got all the stuff He needs. And He's going all the way in. And He's going to do the full work that needs to be done. Look, y'all, this is a lifetime deal. So he goes all the way in. God will perfect, purposefully extend his encounter with you. He draws you out. The angels are like, what is taking you so long? I remember wrestling in intramurals in high school. I'm sorry, Ock, I wasn't like state champion Joe Dude, you know, but I was, I was in intramurals. Yes, I was. <laughs> I ain't bragging or nothing, but I beat little Petey Jones, who was 5'3". 87 pounds. I, I, I nailed him. I took him down, y'all. I ain't, I ain't bragging. 
But I remember wrestling against a guy who was stronger than me. The wrestling matches were seven minutes. Three-minute period, and I think two two-minute periods. Does that add up to seven? Drexel students, Drexel students. Yes, that is seven. Okay. Drexel is just amazing, y'all. So, seven minutes. That, that's not long. Seven minutes on a wrestling mat, you think you're going to die. Because every ounce of your energy is going into every second of every move when you got a dude on you or you're on a dude trying to put him on his back. Every piece of energy in your body is just used up. God extends this thing. They're wrestling all night long. Look, God always perfects through his chosen process. There's not a shortcut to grow in God. Not just because, look, I came to Covenant Community class and I learned that there are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Old Testament's in Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic sprinkled in. Hebrew's in Koine Greek. And, you know, we learn these things. It's like, okay, now I got it. No, you ain't got it yet. You ain't got it yet. You got to wrestle with life. Again, when I said what I love about Jacob, at the very end of his life, He's 130 years old with Pharaoh in, in Genesis chapter 47. Pharaoh looks at Jacob and he says, how old are you? I mean, I imagine Jacob looked craggly. Is that a word? Here's a pastor word, crusty. He looked old. And he said, look, it's been 130 years. Not very long compared to my father's. But life has been hard. It's been rough. I used to look for a time when life was going to get a little bit easier. That used to be like, I'm working towards that. Come on, baby. We can just work a little, work a little harder, baby. We'll get our little nest egg. I don't, shucks, I don't even know about an egg, let alone a nest egg. So, you know, we'll get a little stuff together, do our little thing, and, you know, kids are getting a little older. Oh, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I'm looking for a time when I can relax or as the Epiphanites would say, where I can chill. You know, but it took a little while for me to understand, God, I might be looking to chill. God ain't looking for me to chill. He's not looking for you to chill. This life is not about chilling. There may be a time to chill. Is that, is that Ecclesiastes 3? Or oh, excuse me, Ecclesiastes 3. A time to chill. That's a little bit of time, but a time to work. A time to deal with life. A time to face the junk that you got to face head on and say, God, help me or I'm not going to make it. God extends this encounter and he uses and perfects through his process. But look at the last part of verse 25, he couldn't prevail against Jacob, but he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. <laughs> He's a wrestler. Ak is just like moving his head like, dude, that's not good. 
wrestling with someone. If you're wrestling, the main point of your power is coming from your legs. Biggest muscles in your body for most of us. Some of us have some big muscles in our head and stuff. But for the most part, the biggest muscles in your body are in your legs. And as he touches them and his hip socket comes out a joint. He touches them in his point of greatest strength. Listen, when you're grappling with God, when you're wrestling with God, God will always touch you in the point of your greatest strength. We always think about, oh, where I'm weak. Oh, where I'm vulnerable. I want you to think about, oh, where I'm strong. Oh, where I think I'm something. Oh, where I think I've got it together. Oh, my God. That is the place that will get you into trouble. That is the place that will hurt you the worst. I remember when my wife and I came to Philadelphia 20 years ago. We came here to go to Westminster Seminary. I went to Westminster Seminary and I left saved. Praise God. Beautiful thing. Learned all that stuff and still love God. But we came here to do God's work. We came here to move into the city because we knew God wanted us in the city. Within a week of being here, we'd already linked up with a church plant with a, a diverse crew of folks, Puerto Rican and white and black. And it was crazy. It was wild. And it's like, yeah, God, you got us right here. And we're in the middle of doing what God has called us to do. Left the house in the suburbs. Left the job in, in corporate America with Xerox. Left everything that we knew. I remember my father saying, how are you going to support yourself when you get down there? I said, I don't know. But we knew one thing. God was saying, go, 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 go. We're so excited about it. And I remember the first chance I had to preach. I was so excited. I'm a young dude. And, you know, I had done some preaching in my other church. And, you know, I was so excited to finally be here and learning some new stuff. And, and I finally get a chance to preach. Well, <clears throat> my mentor pastor, Reverend Charles R. Brown, Junior, a.k.a. Charlie Brown. Now, Pastor Brown was a man of God. He loved the Lord, loved me for some crazy reason. Older African-American guy, but just took, uh, took me under his wing. I remember, look, I'm just cutting my teeth, trying to remember John 3.16. For God so loved, I know he loved something. I'm still cutting my teeth on, on trying to learn Bible, and Pastor Brown comes up to me and says, I've got a book for you, and he hands me Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. I can't figure out John 3.16, and he's giving me Calvin's Institutes. But he loved me, and he poured his life into me, and he taught me, but Pastor Brown, whenever he spoke, he spoke for 90 minutes, not 89, he spoke for 90 minutes. That's what I learned. That's what I was under. Now I'm in a... I'm in a church plant. Young people. 28-minute sermon zone. At 23 minutes, I begin to see the eyes going in the back of people's heads. I'm like, okay, I need to land this plane. 
Preachers have been there. You need to land it. Just, just, just get it on the ground. I did not know how. I didn't know how to talk for less than a, for 90 minutes. So I kept talking and talking, and I'm saying to myself, shut up, shut up. But I'm saying, I can't shut up. It's not 90 minutes yet. By the end of that sermon, I was so embarrassed. People had left a long time ago. They were gone. There were still some bodies there, but the people were gone. They were long gone. I remember just saying to myself, I am never, ever going to preach again. This is so stupid. Who did I think I was? Why did we come here? How dumb is this? What was I thinking? One experience. A lot of experiences like that in my life. That's, that's a funny one. Some of them weren't so funny. God used those more than anything else. He, he, he touched me in a point where I thought, you know what, I can preach a little bit. I know what I'm doing here. And God touches you and he just says, man, you better not depend on yourself one more minute, one more second. You better depend on me. God will touch you in your point of your greatest strength. He touches him. And look at this. Verse 26, being in verse 26. Then he said, God said, let me go for the day is broken. wonder how those words sounded to, to Jacob. He, he's aware now something's going on. He just got his hip touched and it's out of joint. This is, this is no regular dude. He knows what it's like. And he's saying, this is, prob- I'm, this is the Lord here. I'm dealing with God in all of this. And he says, let me go. Let me go. I wonder if anybody's ever been there. What I would call a let me go moment. A time in a place where hope is long gone. You've been overwhelmed. Look, some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. Some of you are going to be there tomorrow. Some of you will be there later on. But let me tell you about this. You're at a time where everything seems like it's too much. The point, this point is this. You will be tested to your limits. You will be tested to your limits. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Love that verse. Great verse for counseling. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And with the temptation, God will give you a way of escape. We love that. Always tell people, look, look God's not going to put on you more than you can bear. Let me tell you something else. This is a promise too. God will always put on you more than you think you can bear. Y'all know what I'm talking about? He'll put on you more than you think you could ever possibly bear. And you're in that moment. I've had several of these in my time with God, in my walk with God, where everything seems like it's too much. I can't take another thing. I don't have any more hope. I don't have any more strength. I don't have all that I've learned. It does me no good. There's no reason for any of it. And the love of God itself seems like nothing more than a cruel hoax. It's not working. You're ready with every fiber of your being to give up on God, to give up on everything else. But 
at that time, you're faced with an eternal, unchangeable, unyielding fact that all your bitterness, all your anger, all your hurt, and all your selfishness can't overcome. And that fact is this. You can't let go. You can't let go. You want to let go. You're ready to let go. But you can't let go. You, can't, you better thank God that you can't let go. My old church, we used to sing, you got to hold to his hand, to God's unchanging hand. Hope in things eternal. Amen. You got to hold to God's unchanging hand. I want to tell you the thing and the reality that I see here as God says to Jacob, let me go. And he says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. I've been at that point of saying, let me go. I want to go. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. It's too much. It hurts too much. But at the end of the day, I can't let go. Because salvation isn't a decision I made one day when I just said, yes, I want to do this. But salvation was a decision that God made in eternity past when he said, Larry Smith is mine. I will have him. He will be my child. And I'm not going to let you go. And then he placed his Holy Spirit in me as a seal, as a down payment for all my mess, for all my sin, for all my weakness. And he said, in that day, you think you're going to let me go? Oh, you're going to find out you can't let me go. Can't let me go. Why? Philippians 2.13, I love the verse. It's God who is in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who's in you both to will it. In other words, the want to comes from God. I have to work up the want to. The want to comes from God. Is God in you both to will and to work? That word in the Greek is energao. I had to throw in a little Greek there, Pastor. Energize you. It's God who's the one who animates me, who strengthens me, who, who lives in me to glorify his name. It's God who's in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. You be tested. To the very end of your limits. I'm going to finish here in a few minutes. <coughs> Look at verse 27. <clears throat> the angels are still wondering, what the heck is taking you so long, Lord? What is going on? Just pin this dude. Verse 27. And he, this is God, said to him, what is your name? Angels are like, yeah, that's right. Let's embarrass this sucker. Let's embarrass him. Make him tell us. Make him tell him your name. Oh my goodness. He said, Jacob. My point is this to walk with God, you must come low and deal humbly with your stuff. Where does that come from? It comes from this. Most of you know Jacob, the name, it means schemer. Jacob means deceiver. It means liar. Let, let's, let's update the terminology a little bit. 
It means weasel. It means rat. I said it in the last service, so I guess you can say it in church. It means sleazeball. I mean, he was in another place. You know, Scripture says of Jacob, I'm a worm and not a man. Slimy, wormy, deceiver, a worthless sack of old donuts. He's just a mess. So to walk with God, you got to come low. You got to deal humbly with your stuff. Real change, real change, real change in your life, real change in my life only comes at the intersection of truth and you. That's the street, that's the intersection. My God, we've got to be careful. Reformed Christians. Sometimes we got to be real careful because like, we feel like we know the inside stuff. We know what happened behind the curtain. Oh, my goodness. People talking about double predestination. And I'm like, my goodness, wow. What's all this about? I think we know so much. But real change only co- occurs at the intersection of truth and you. John 8.32, Jesus said, you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Right? But read the rest of the verses after that. He says that to a group of Pharisees that say, well, we've always been free. We've never been slaves of anyone. Dumb. Stupid. Don't you even know your own Hebrew history? Hebrew history 101. We went into slavery for 430 years. And they're saying, we've never been slaves to anyone. Stupid. Yes, you have. But they're arguing with Jesus. You'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. I don't need to be made free. I'm good already. My goodness. Be real careful. The thing that offends you the most may be a clue to what you need to deal with. Amen. What offends you most deeply is what you might need to deal with most desperately. I'm real careful when you touch on something with a brother, with a sister, and you're just talking about it, and you get this big old reaction. I'm like, oh my God, something's going on there. I know it because I've been it. I've been on the other side of it. I know what it's like when it feels like I'm exposed, and now I've got to cover it up real quick. God help me. Jacob, he has to say his name. Listen, be careful. Reformed Christian Scholar Bible Heads. That's an official title. Many of you can wear it proudly. But be careful that you know so much truth that pertains to everyone else and so little truth about your own sin. Be careful. God comes to you and says, Who are you? What, what, what's really going on? I'm Jacob. I'm a deceiver. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'll admit it. I, I'm a schemer. I want my own way. Oh, God, I've, I had plan A, but I got 12 plan Bs in case you don't work out. I stand up and say, God, who was first in my life, and we don't do that at Epiphany because we know what that means because I got 18 other plans if you don't work out. To walk with God, you got to come low. 
you got to deal humbly with your stuff. We're almost finished. Verse 28. Ah, the angels are loving it. He had to say it was Jacob. He must be so embarrassed. But verse 29, oh my God. They don't know what to deal, how to deal with this. Verse 28. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. God changes his name. I want you to know, I don't see you anymore as a wormy, sleazy dude scheming his way through life. But I want you, how can God do this? But I want you to see that I see you clothed in the righteousness of my Son, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I don't see you anymore in your sin, in your shame, covered in your blood, but now you're covered in my blood. I don't see you the way you used to be. I don't even see you the way everyone else can see you or what you see when you look in the mirror, but you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone. And so you're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel, the one who strives with God. He strives with God. That has a positive connotation. That is not a wormy name. That is a proud name. That is a name that says, you're my boy. You're my boy. Oh, the angels are blushing in heaven now. They don't know what to do with this kind of grace. They don't know what to do with this kind of love. They don't know what to do with this situation. How can you say that to Jacob? Thank God because I'm Jacob. And you're Jacob. And God says, I got a new name for you. Oh, the shame is gone. The mess is gone. And I'm covering you in my love. Oh, God, we thank you for your gospel. One last verse. One last verse. Verse 31. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. You encounter with God. You grapple with God. You get in the mix with God. He exposes your junk. He gets in your grill. I learned that at Epiphany. Gets in your stuff. Opens you wide up. Does his work. Promise you this. You'll never walk the same way again. You'll never walk the same way again. You'll never walk the same way again. I tell you what, uh, when I watch Christian television, so many times I see the model that we're supposed to follow. And the model is unbridled swagger of a man who's got his stuff together and everybody around him serves him. My wife and I saw this little silly movie uh, last weekend. Um, it was on, I keep forgetting his name. Help me, wife. 
Um, Jerry Lee Lewis. Dennis Quaid played Jerry Lee Lewis. Back in the 50s, rock and roll star. And every time Dennis Quaid would get out of a car or go into a room playing Jerry Lee Lewis, he'd just be like this. I'm the man. Check me out. And it looks silly almost. It's silly in the world, but it's crazy in the church. It's crazy in the church that any man, any woman, any child, anybody would think, I got this thing. When God works in your life, it's not about how much stuff you know. It's not about how much knowledge you have. It's not about how your long ministry credentials make you something or, or words before your name or after your name or titles or anything else. But when you know God, when you've walked with Him, when you've fallen, when He's the one that's picked you up, when you know that it's He that's covered you by His blood, when you know God like that, you will not walk that way anymore. You will walk with a limp. You will walk saying, God, I need you today. God, I need you today. If you don't show up, I'm in trouble. If you don't show up today, I'm in trouble. There is a walk of a person who's been humbled by God. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that we'll get a piece of this today. I pray that we'll embrace the truth of God in our own lives and say, yes, that's right, that's me. Help me, Lord. And Jesus loves it when we pray that prayer. It doesn't need to be high and lofty. Help me, Jesus, I'm a mess. I'm a mess in my sin. I love sin. I love, oh God, you know my flesh is just as ugly as it ever was and uglier still. But God, I know you're here. You never walk the same way again. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we do thank you. Thank you, God, that you picked the Jacobs of the world. You picked wormy, slimy, weak, mama's boys like Jacob. And Lord, you engage us. You wrestle with us. You come down to us. And you change us. Lord, so many times, and probably everyone in this room, in one way or another, is thinking about, at some point, what am I going to do in a year, in five years, in ten years? What I need to prepare myself for? trying to find out what we're going to do, where we're going to go. Lord, we don't have the answers. But God, you've given us the answer to one thing. For our purpose in life, beyond how we'll make money or where we'll live, you told us that it is your purpose 
that we would be made over from the inside out. That we might look like, act like, talk like, and walk like the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, to your work. Lord, where we are in spiritual slumber, wake us up, oh God. That we would desire you with a whole heart. That we would love you more. That we would see our weakness. That we would magnify your strength. Oh God, glorify your name in your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.